Welcome to the Umpiring Fast Pitch Softball Podcast. I'm David. And I'm Pete. And today we're going to look over some of the OHSAA reminders that came to us in the White Book, which is some guidance that's published every year uh, and sent out to umpires in Ohio that follows the rule book. Just some things that we may want to make points of emphasis or just uh, some good ideas to keep in mind. So these are sent out by Ohio. However, they are applicable to everyone who umpires uh, in the um, NFHS. Yeah, that's right. There aren't any rule changes in here imposed by the state. So as we've talked about formally or maybe on one of the uh, one of the groups, oh, it was, it was on one of the Facebook groups. There was a post about state sanctions putting in uh, or state organizations putting in additional Things rules. Things like IBLAC that are state-specific. Right, not exactly. Yeah, there's nothing like that in here. So everything that we're going to talk about today, it just came to us through the white book that's published by Jerry Fick at uh, OHSAA. But it's applicable to umpiring in general. So the first one we'll talk about is noisemakers. This is an important one. The use of any item to create additional noise is a violation of the unsporting conduct regulation. Noisemaking devices are not permitted in the dugout. This would include musical instruments, whistles, and horns. It is also not permissible to bang items such as ball buckets or bang bats on dugouts, benches, or fences. Note that the penalty for violations of this rule permits a warning, but for repeated violations, the umpire may restrict to the bench or eject either the coach or offenders. Umpires should first use warnings to enforce this rule. Yep. Uh, I've had, I mean, this one, this is one where it happens a lot more at younger levels. So if you're, you're umpiring middle school games, I've had to address this much more frequently at that level, but people can get excited regardless. And sometimes this can happen uh, where, you know, someone makes a good hit and some people just start hitting things just because they're clapping you know, people in the stands probably banging the bench with their feet. Some kids get excited. But the spirit of this rule the, and the wording of the rule is that they can't artificially make noise with anything except their hands on their hands. You know, yeah, that's right. Their body on their body. Yep, don't do it. We um, we see this. I've actually seen it in college a few times uh, while coaching. I've, you know, had to complain and say hey, they've got ball buckets turned upside down and they're, mm-hmm. you know, while they're cheering, while our, our pitcher is trying to pitch, you know, they're banging on ball buckets and – that kind of thing, and taking a ball on the top of a ball bucket. So yeah. it's, it's actually pretty loud. It's like yeah. a, a little um, bongo. But, yep, can't do it. Uh, like you said, they can yell, they can uh, clap, they can do all kinds of things. So, Pete, um, this one isn't in the white book, but one of the things that is also a bit frustrating sometimes as a coach and um, certainly to the players, pitchers specifically, are those specific cheers that get louder and louder and louder and louder and louder until the, the pitcher is supposed to be throwing the ball. Yeah. Um, I don't allow those either. Okay. So I don't know. We should probably look up and see if that's in the rule book somewhere, but it's intended to distract. So it's almost interference. You know, it's, um, and so that's, if a coach would, would challenge me on it, I think that's what I would say to them. So I, I guess I do have to take that action item and say, hey, let's get in the book and see if there's uh, anything to back me up on that one. Yeah. And if any of our listeners know, just go ahead and, and you know, hit us up on the uh, comments. Yep. And check uh, if we don't if we don't put something tacked on this episode, uh, it's possible when we find the answer or address it, we may put it in the comments over at umpiringfastpitchsoftball.com. Perfect. What's the next one, Pete? So the next one says that it's, uh, it's titled Sweatshirts and Jackets. Rule 3-2-1 allows state associations to permit players to wear sweatshirts and jackets when there is inclement weather. In Ohio, players may wear, gar- wear garments that cover their jerseys and jersey numbers are not required to be visible when this occurs. So we're talking about, you know, we're in Ohio, we're not in Florida, we're not in Arizona, we're not in Southern California. Uh, for most of our season, 
which uh, NFHS season here is uh, March, April, beginning of May, even by end of April, it's still cool. I think I only did not wear my uh, my heavy umpiring jacket last year, maybe five times. Uh, most of the time, though, I needed a jacket, and I'm, I'm a cold weather person. You know, just like we need covered up, just the safety of the girls and comfort, everyone have a good time, have fun. You know, the state associations will allow the, the use of sweatshirts. Don't forget, don't think that they have to have numbers. I know there's some people that feel like, well, if they're wearing a jacket, it's got to have a number on it. I've heard parents complain um, because coaches had told them at some point that they got to do it that way. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, it's not not required. Okay. And if well, there's, I mean, if there's a real problem, what's the concern? Batting out of order, people not in the game. If there's a question, unzip the jacket let me look, or lift it up. Yeah. Let me see the number. Let me see who you are. Let me check the lineup card. We're good. What's your name, player? Yeah, you exactly. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and that's a good point on the on the weather uh, for us umpires as well. Make sure that you're prepared when you head out. I know that for me, I wear a very small chest protector now. So before I had a like a baseball catcher's chest protector that was it was hot even in the cool weather. I would find myself sweating, you know, working the plate because mm-hmm. it's work. Now I wear a very very small chest protector that doesn't provide any warmth. But if you're not on the plate and you're on the bases. That wind's blowing out there, and you're not really doing yeah. much but standing around in some of these games where you walk the line two steps and you, you just stay in there. You know, the furthest you run is in between innings over to, to get the, the pitcher's plate brushed yeah. off. You're going to get cold, so make sure you're prepared for the cold. Gloves as well for umpires. Um, mm-hmm. Black, all black gloves, just like your shoes, all black shoes. We had uh, heard about an umpire that wore his um, safety orange hunting gloves out on the, on the thing, so... We don't want to do that. The next one is get it right. We must have rule books available and consult those publications when needed during the course of a game. Be prepared to check the books and explain the proper ruling to the coach. We continue to have a few unfortunate situations each year where rules are misapplied and not corrected. The OHSAA does not recognize protests, so it is imperative that we refer to the books when needed and make corrections if necessary. I think that we can all agree that when the umpires in a game disagree on a rules application, there is no reason not to check a rule before we award the wrong base, fail to, to count a run that should have scored, or make some other rules misapplication. Yeah, I think this is super important in Federation Ball because I know in summer tournaments, a lot of them have their timed games until you get to the very late in, in actual bracket play. So pool play games might be 70, 80, 85 minutes, drop dead, or finish the inning. And time is important. Wasted time hurts everyone. And, you know, people are sometimes hesitant to, to spend time doing that. Even if you stop the game clock, you've now put the whole tournament behind because your field's behind. In high school games, it's usually one game. There occasionally be doubleheaders, but a lot of times it's one game. Time is not a factor. We're going to finish the game. Why not just get it right? You have, you should have a rule book. I keep a rule book in my bag as well as, you know, my phone is in my bag and the electronic version of our NFH app is on all access. I can pull that up. Sometimes that's easier from a searching perspective. If you're looking for certain words, you know, I know the rule, I know it's got the word, you know, blah, blah. It's got the word, you know, obstructed in it. So I look for searches of that word, find it up, and then I have the book. Sometimes the book is useful. I'm not going to give my phone to a coach, but if we got to discuss it and hand the book to them and they can just, you want to check that out further, that's cool. But we're sure of the rule we're going to play on. on. And then you you can look and, and see that and discuss but yeah, absolutely. Get it. Why not get it right? Why not? What's the what's the concern? Especially as the white book mentions there, if the two umpires disagree, 
you guys know you really together. have to look. Yeah, yeah you really not, have to we've together. said many times like the home plate umpire is not necessarily the boss, you know, over the base umpire. So he doesn't get to just say we have a top, we have some rule application and plate umpire says this and you say this. So I overrule you. Goodbye. Right. Not quite like that. So let's exactly let's use experience. Let's use the rule book. So a quick story of um, it's not my story to tell. I wasn't involved in it, but I was told about it by somebody who went to the clinic. So each year in the fall, for as, as long as I've known about it anyway, Mike Burwell does a NCAA two-man camp in Columbus during the Charity Classic at Ohio State. And they will set up scenarios and ask the coaches to go out and challenge the, the umpires that are in the clinic. You know, yeah. and I was told about a story where the Ohio State coach came out and challenged something that is to you and I, if somebody were to ask it in the Facebook group or something, we would immediately come up with the answer. But because, um, you know, it's a high States coach and she's in your face and mm-hmm. she, you know, whatever, they actually had to get together and talk about it. And they disagreed. The umpires disagreed. And then they, they got together afterwards. And, you know, actually, they I think in the story, they said they went with what? the Ohio State coach said, and then they looked it up after and went, oh, no, that one right, <laughs> you know, type thing. So, yeah, get together, get in the book and figure it out. So, good stuff. What's next, Pete? The next one addresses head decorations, headwear, and religious apparel. So, this is something that was clarified, uh, I think, in last year's rule book or two years ago. I think so. It's a, it's a recent change. It's not this year. It's a previous year. But it says, regardless of NFHS playing rules, state law requires that officials and contest administrators not prohibit or create any obstruction to wearing religious apparel when competing or participating in intergalactic athletics, unless a legitimate danger to participants is identified due to wearing religious apparel. If a danger is identified, the administrator or official of the event or activity shall offer all reasonable accommodations to the participant wearing religious apparel. So, you know, we're thinking here of things like headscarves, you know, cross necklaces, uh, people that have other things that are significant, maybe in their hair or in their ears, or, um, you know, now the jewelry is, is... not restricted as well that additionally helps here but you know there are there are people who have have things in their hair you know there are beaded things that are useful uh, or that are helpful or that are part of, of people's traditions or religious traditions or cultural traditions that we used to have to complain you've seen i've served some of you've maybe seen the videos where there was a wrestler who had uh, certain hair and they like cut his hair off like before we could participate in the uh, event oh wow he had hair oh, i didn't like, see that there's like twists and whatever but it was longer and instead of offering him some of the other things that may have been available, they cut it off before he went to the match. Like someone literally cut it off. I know it was something he had spent probably years. Oh, doing. wow. Yeah, we wouldn't be doing that, I don't yeah. think. I've, I haven't run across this. Uh, I think we've had some people, you know, from different cultures that, you know, are, are now here in America and they play, they're playing. And it never even crossed my mind to say, hey, she's not allowed to wear that. But it's like, no, that's kind of, it's okay. That's yeah. all we do. So. Um, good clarification here, a good reminder here from the OHSA. So the next one is about dugout personnel. They must remain in the dugout. This includes the coaches, the players, and other team personnel. Rule 366 offers limited exceptions such as bat and ball shaggers. They have to be wearing a helmet if they're underage. Uh, who are retrieving discarded bats or foul balls that may, be, uh, that may be hit well off the field and down the foul lines. The exception does not cover foul balls or other loose balls near a fielder or behind home plate. Defensive coaches are not permitted to take a position outside the dugout for the purpose of signaling pitches. Offensive coaches on the field must take positions within the coach's box. Yep. Yeah, and that's the one. I think the piece there that maybe people might mostly run into is the defensive coaches calling the signals. Because I know there's a, I have a lot of times I've had to address a coach will take a bucket and they'll move outside the dugout 
uh, not far usually, but definitely outside the dugout um, into the, you know, the, the dirt. Uh, and you've got to get, get in yeah. you know, or get behind the fence somewhere. I don't think most people, I think that one's pretty clear, right? Yeah, it is very clear. I had a USA game in a, uh, a one of our local tournaments one time where the two teams did not like each other very much, and they had shared a coaching staff for some portion of the year. Mm-hmm. And the first-base dugout coach felt like the third-base dugout coach was stealing signs. So the first-base dugout coach came around to my left shoulder and was the catcher kept turning around and looking almost straight behind her you know, yeah. just around my left side to get the to get the signal from from our coach. And I'm like, what are, you, what are you doing? Well, that's the coach. No, no, no. no you <laughs> you got to get back in the yeah, dugout. Yeah, that's to point out too. And good clarification as well is, yeah, we can, they can't be in the field of play, but they have to be in the dugout. Even on that side, they cannot move outside the fence. Sometimes there's a designated area that's kind of like dugout extended. Uh, we had that with COVID and some other things where there might be an area that's allocated as part of it, but. They can't move behind the, the fence there and, and give some coach can. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you're not going to stop dad. This is high school yeah, ball. So right. dad might be back there giving pitches. All right. The last one, Pete. The last one is game management. Umpires know that their responsibility is for what happens on the field. Game administration and site management is a school responsibility. This is important for a number of reasons. Weather issues, the rare case of spectators causing problems that need attention or other emergencies. Prior to the game, no later than the pregame conference with the coaches, Find out if game management is available or if the head coach is filling that role. In the spring, there are often many events going on at a school, and this forces the coach to take this responsibility. In any event, umpires need to know who to go to should assistance become necessary. See our updates to the weather regulations elsewhere in this white, white book. And we had talked a little bit about that with fires and additional responsibilities that we get as umpires that maybe uh, we didn't have or weren't clear in the past. But yeah, just game management. Site administrators, you have you have the field. If it's, if there's a problem that's not happening within the confines of your fences and your lines, make the site administrator's problem, which could be the coach. Yeah, that's right. Make yeah. it a real problem too. Don't don't uh, cheap out on this. Don't say, well, you know, and the coaches, I don't know, nothing. No, coach, the game is stopped until you remove that fan or yeah, until you fi- fix this fix problem. This. Yep. Yeah, that's something I'm going to work on this year for sure. Coming back to Federation Ball, you know, it's been a while since I've done a high school game. Uh, so coming back to Federation Ball, I'm going to make sure one of the things that I work on is uh, allowing that to happen. You know, it's it's rare that I've had a problem with a fan, but when I have in the past, I've kind of handled it and, you know, kind of turned around and said, OK, that's enough anymore from you. You're going to be, you know, out of here more in a USA, you know, hey, you're out yeah. on on 28, you know, at Burliner. And you're like, well, I don't know where the UIC is, but I'm going to handle it now. You right. know. Um, but when you're at the school, you know, it's probably, it's better, you know, and by the manual. So that's something I'm going to work on today. So there is a lengthy note, uh, about the school's responsibility when hosting a context, uh, contest, uh, we'll leave that for the, you know, the folks in, uh, the folks inside of their own States to, to take a look at. And so one more, I thought there was the last one. Uh, I missed the page. So uh, if I turn the page over to page 11 in the white book, OHSA white book is professionalism. As an OHSA licensed official, umpires are responsible to uphold standards for professionalism. The OHSA officiating code of ethics, which is found in the handbook for officials on the website, and it's also printed here on page 11 in the white book, outlines these standards. In addition, we remind each umpire of the importance of honoring our commitments and contracts regardless of possible inconvenience or financial loss, and also discuss the importance of being careful about what we say both verbally and in social media that would include this podcast so yeah yeah 
that's why we edit things because mm. you know sometimes Pete I can't control him you know <laughs> he just goes off but uh, remember that the OHSAA's mission statement is simple and to the point but also speaks volumes the mission statement is to serve our member schools and enrich interscholastic opportunities for students I feel very strongly about this Pete we're there for the girls the yeah. uh, if you're and maybe there are some people out there that that just do high school ball for the money. I don't know any. I haven't met any of those folks yeah. uh, before that do it just for the money. But you know, we get paid. So, however, if a if a, a site is a, a long ways away. In fact, I'm going to um, Rosecrans High School in Zanesville uh, for a game this year, and that's that's pretty far. You know, I haven't put the, put it in the miles or whatever, but it's probably 40, 40, 50 miles probably to get over there to the school. So that's 40, 50 miles back. I'm not, I don't remember which league it is, so I don't know how much it is, but it is a two-person, you know, so it's a two-person game right now scheduled anyway. We'll see what the weather does to that. Right. But uh, so I'm not sure what I'll be getting, but it probably in my truck, uh, it'll cover half the guys probably, you know, but I'm not going to say, Ooh, I'm, I can't do that game anymore. I looked at how far it was. You know, if you need to, if you need to make those types of decisions, do it before you accept the game. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you accept it, you have a contract and you really need to fulfill that contract. It's hard on your assigner and unfair to the schools, you know, to do that after you accept it. Yeah. And then when you show up, let's say you do show up and you're, you're grumpy about how far it was. You're grumpy about traffic arriving. You're grumpy because work was bad. You can't bring that to the field. That is not the girl's problem. It's not the coach's problem. Don't show up and gripe about my game check's not going to cover the get. Like that's not for them. Right. right. There are people who advocate game fees and other things. That's an off-season problem. That's you know a problem above our particular pay grade. You advocate to the people you advocate for, and if you have that issue, but that's not theirs, and it shouldn't become their problem. Show up, be dressed well, look good in your uniform. Even if you know coaches, be cognizant of the fact that if you if you've known one guy, you've umpired ten of his games, you can't sit there and talk to him like you guys are best buds before the game and like barely address the other coach. Yep. Because any close call. You're going to be seen as, you know, showing favoritism. Don't, like I said, don't badmouth this. Don't be, there's a, a list of things in the book about things you shouldn't be doing on site, which includes smoking and uh, doing things like that. So, I mean, professionals, treat it. I mean, treat it like you were, uh, you think about how lawyers need to present themselves in court and how, um, you know, salespeople have to present themselves in a, in a presentation. You need to, you have a product, you are the product, you know, to a certain degree. You need to make it look good. That's right, Pete. Funny you say that about the coaches. I recently heard a story, I won't say where or from whom, because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but an umpire arriving at the field and hugging one of the coaches. Yeah. That's probably not a thing. Right. <laughs> you probably shouldn't do that. Uh, there's no probably about that one, listeners. That's a that's a no-go. All right, Pete. I think that takes us to uh, closure on this episode. Um, yeah. We'll see you next time. Uh, yeah. Bunch of good tips. Um, thanks for OHSAA for always putting this this book out for our umpires. And um, we're glad and happy we could share that with you today. So until next time.